Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Education research has shown the single most important school-based factor students' academic success is the classroom teacher. But research also shows that perhaps the next most important factor is the school principal. Most teachers will tell you that the kind of school climate and vision the principal sets is what makes or breaks their success with students. Today on the show, we're gonna talk about principals with two great education leaders. The 2018 North Carolina Princeton of the Year, Tabari Wallace from Craven County, and the head of the North Carolina Principal and Assistant Principal Association, Dr. Shirley Prince. Before we tackle our main topic, we'll open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. 37 students at a Nashville private school have come down with the chickenpox in the state's worst outbreak of the disease since a vaccine was introduced in 1995. The outbreak at Asheville Waldorf School has reignited controversy about the North Carolina law that allows parents to exempt their children from receiving mandatory vaccines if they cite religious beliefs as the reason. At Waldorf School, 68% of in incoming kindergartners were excused from vaccination requirements. The state average is about 1.2%. However, the number of children excused from vaccination statewide has doubled in the past five years. Lawmakers considered eliminating the exemption in 2015, but dropped the bill after some protests. Just a week after Wake County Public Schools announced a settlement with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights over student suspensions, Wake County School administrators said they will be proposing changes to the school board in January that will limit principals to using in-school discipline for some lower-level offenses. Some school board members say the changes are needed to remove bias against minority students who are being overly suspended and to change from the focus from punishment to encouraging students to behave positively. A new, federal, a new class action lawsuit filed in federal court in Rhode Island argues that the U.S. Constitution itself contains an implicit guarantee of a high-quality education. The plaintiffs are arguing that a failure to provide a high-quality public education actually limits, limits citizens' ability to adequately function in a civil society. The lead attorney said the court got it tragically wrong when it characterized access to literacy as a privilege instead of a right held by all children that they may meaningfully participate in our political system. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of the headlines as well as the other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk about the importance of the role of principals, and who better to start with than North Carolina's Principal of the Year. Tabari Wallace, congratulations and welcome to Education Matters. Thank you. Thank you. All right, now Tabari is the principal of West Craven High School, which is uh, in Craven County. Now I want to I'm going to give you a little bit of your bio because I want our, our viewers to know a little bit about you. You grew up, I, I think you said, in a poor neighborhood in mm -hmm. Newburn. Mm -hmm. You earned a full athletic scholarship at East Carolina University as a walk-on yep. member of the Pirates football team. <laughs> Got your bachelor's degree. Played professional football. We were you and I were talking about our team. Uh, Washington Redskins might need uh, might need somebody that doesn't have a broken leg. That's right, a quarterback. <laughs> uh, but then, but then let's get so. But then you went back home. You mm -hmm. uh, you were a lateral entry math teacher mm -hmm. in New Bern High. Moved to assistant principal to principal. Um, about ten years. You've been doing that now. This is your first. I guess you've just finished your first full year. In your first full year at West Craven High. Yes, sir. Now one last thing. During this whole time. 
getting your degree is becoming an AP and a principal, you earned your master's degree in school administration, and now you're a doctoral candidate. So mm -hmm. why have you been so lazy? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's been fast forward, I gotta tell you, for the past three years, I gotta tell you. Well, you've been busy. So but let's, let's talk about education. Now you, um, I mean, like I said, you, you, I don't know if this was something you wanted, but why did you, why did you decide to go into education in the first place? What made you decide to go, well, one, to go back home, but mm -hmm. to go into education? Um, being, uh, playing football, and football has been, been a big part of my life since the sixth grade. Um, I love seeing kids um, overcome challenges, and I love seeing kids succeed. It's something about that. I loved to succeed when I was a kid. Um, and it's something about being that person and to, to assist a child over the hump and then seeing that reward, that kid jumping up and getting excited, and sometimes jumping into your arms to, 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 to celebrate with you. Right. That's the bonus of educators. We don't get a lot of money. We don't get you know a lot of the fame and fortune. It's that intimate conversation and that intimate one-on-one -on -one passion that you share with the student whenever they do overcome challenges and they do succeed. Well, and, and, and you know this, I mean, just about anyone who's gone to school, public schools, um, uh, you know, it, at any age can still tell you about, um, you know, a teacher that, that meant something to me. You, um, um, you mentioned, I think is in the application or the nomination for you to be principal of the year. Um, you talked about that one of the overall driving forces for you was the belief in your students' abilities to overcome and meet the challenge. And you specifically said, again, growing up in, in, in New Bern, mm -hmm. to overcome their affluent counterparts when no one believed they could do it. Yes. So who believed in Tabari Wallace? I would say it was Bernadette Green. She taught us, I was in her chemistry class. And again, I was a football player, and we all have this stigma. You know, we're all trying to get over the stereotypes and this and that. And I made an A in her chemistry class. And she pulled me to the side and said, son, you're more than a football player you can actually go to school and do something. And she believed in me. She began to mentor me after that. And she helped me with the college applications and this and that. When my counselor told me I could only go to a HBCU, mm. she said, you have the grades and you, have the, you, you can go to whatever college you want to go to. And that's how I dropped into East Carolina and the rest is, the rest is history. Were you already, I mean, uh, I mean, chemistry was not my subject for sure. <laughs> I mean, were you already thinking about, I mean, I mean, I, like you were obviously still, I mean, if, if you're an athlete at, that, at the level mm -hmm. you were at, I mean, you, you had, you know, professional aspirations, right. perhaps, or at least a dream of it. Right. But were you thinking about post football and, and, and education then, or did that come later? It actually came, came later. You know, every kid wants to play pro football. I mean, they just want to do that. Um, and, and that's why I came in lateral entry. And actually, Chip Williams called me up one day and said, hey, you want to coach football? I said, oh, I, yes, I do want to coach football. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm doing it. And I was going back um, uh, to pretty much get my master, master's at that time. And I said, okay, I'll go. And I took the job. And once you get bit by that bug, once you get around those children and you start leading kids and you're trying to get them to the promised land and to see them reciprocate and actually follow you, follow you. You can't be a leader if nobody's behind you. Right. So to ask, actually see them follow you. And then you had, I, I wouldn't say I had it, but I had something that made kids want to come to class and learn math. They would skip the other three periods to come to my class. So I don't know what it was. I guess that's how I became an administrator because they wanted to do that on a school-wide <laughs> thing instead of with just 25 children. Now, we, um, uh, on our show, we, sometimes we, we, we've talked about, actually we bring it up quite a bit, the issues of race and right. race equity. I mean, mm -hmm. you, are, um, you are in a minority being um, uh, a black male mm -hmm. educator. Right. Um, mm -hmm. what, do we, what do we need to do? Um, I guess to, to, to encourage more Tabaris to uh, pursue education and get back in the classroom. I think educators need to tell their story. 
I mean, a lot of times if we have a perception that there's no money in education and there's this and it's a dead-end job, and it's, it's, it's not a dead-end job. Um, educators are masters of knowing what to do in ambiguity. They understand how to flow and they understand how to work within different situations. It's one, one against 25. Right. So that's a special person to be able to lead children there. So we have to do a better job trying to sell this profession because we definitely need more minorities in, in this profession. Well, and, 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 and of course we, need, we need more teachers of color. We also just need more teachers and, right. and good teachers. One of the things that, you, that has been cited, you, um, I mean, you had great, when you were overseeing, um, I guess it was McDonald Middle School, the student made, uh, the school made terrific gains in student performance. And this was a school that changed from really being, um, you know, a more, I say, middle class or even a more affluent school that redistricting made it a poor school. Yes, it, uh, did. it did. Um, yet you exceeded, and, and, the, and some of the teachers, you know, really cited, you know, your leadership. Um, what is leadership, how does school leadership work for you? And what, what, what does that mean to you? Um, actually, H.J. McDonald was the second school I was at, Havelock Middle first. And um, we actually had two years where my um, African-American students outperformed their white counterparts. Um, and that's something that's not usually done in the state. And that's kind of what uh, made my district say, he must be a transformational type of leader. So why don't we go, and that was a school, a small school, 450 kids. Mm. Why don't you go to H.J. McDonald, where we just redistrict in that same kind of uh, situation exists and did it um, again. We go there, yeah, and that, a lot of them didn't think I that they didn't think we were going to pull it off. But um, the secret is a, a belief in children. Um, you have to give the kids something. It's something about competition in children, um, and you have to give them something to believe in. And you put that data up on the board and say, this is the other school who pretty much have everything that they want. They have the tutors. They have the this. They have the that. And look what we have. We got each other. And then we just, one vision, one school, one squad is what we did, and they believed in the squad. We put up banners, we had flags, we did everything, and the children, we said it every day, and we believed in that. And then in turn, the kids believed in the teachers. When the teachers saw that, they began to get down and dirty with the academics and begin to push kids. And then we had all came together where we had double-digit gains for two years. I mean, we got almost to 70%, and we started at 30 how do you get the teachers to buy in? Or were they, were they, I mean, were they there and just needed it? I mean, this is a, teaching's tough. Yeah. And it's tough when, you, when you're dealing with children coming in with lots of issues, you know, with childhood trauma and things like that. How did, how do you, how did you get the teachers in, involved? Well, what I tried, and going across the state, what I try to tell people is um, administrators are given a lot of power. And if you ever use your power, if you find yourself using your power more than five times, an entire year of 180 day period, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to lead by example, getting in the trenches with them and creating an environment for them to succeed. You just give them all the resources in the world and back up and let the teacher use their bag of tricks that they developed over the years to get the kids motivated. Now what we did was we had a club program, whereas if you had a 75 and above, you got these certain privileges, lunchroom privileges, principal's pride, things like that. And when the kids bought into that, they don't want to be in classroom remediation. You have to sit in form below, you have to go back to class and remediate. So right. the kids turned in their assignments, participated in class, and they kept S's in conduct so they can enjoy the privilege. And it was ongoing. That's the difference. External motivators, if you look at the research, that's the difference. The one-time deal doesn't work. Right. But when you have an ongoing, that's what the dissertation is about from East Carolina, then you have an ongoing external motivator, it keeps the ball rolling forward and kids get behind it and they keep doing it because they don't want to be back in class. All right, well, last question for you. Um, as a state, um, are we supporting principals enough? Are we, are we supporting our schools and our teachers to be able to do what they need to do? I can say that um, 
you could always do more when it comes to professional development. Um, other than isolated programs, I don't think there's a targeted professional development type of stream for principals only. I think it's left largely up to the districts and the LEAs. Um, but as, as far as the, I think it could be done more. I think I'll leave it there. Well, oh, no, well, no and, I, and I appreciate that. I think we that. could do more. Yeah, because I, and, I, and, and professional development is something that we, we know investing. I mean, you've obviously invested in yourself when you right. uh, next time you come back and visit on the show maybe we'll introduce you as uh, Dr. Wallace yes. you're working on your PhD in East Carolina. Should be done in July. Well look we uh, again congratulations to you thank you for your leadership um, in Craven County thank you for going home it's always it's <laughs> always um, uh, heartwarming to me when I meet so many principals and supers who grew up and then are, have returned back to their community. So thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Keith. Thanks to Barr. Thank you. All righty, when we come back, we're gonna be joined by the head of the North Carolina Principal and Assistant Principals Association, Dr. Shirley Prince. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives. We're gonna continue our discussion today on the role of principals and joining us is Dr. Shirley Prince. She is the Executive Director of the North Carolina Principals and Assistant Principals Association. Thanks for coming back on the show. It's my pleasure, Keith. All right, well, you just, you just saw um, uh, Tabari Wallace. I guess that um, uh, the association in the state would be um, in much better shape if we had a, a few hundred more Tabaris. If we had uh, an, an unlimited supply of Tabaris, we'd be in great shape. Well, let's, um, um, let's start there first. Um, um, the, the idea, like we talk about the teacher pipeline a lot in North Carolina. We don't talk as much about the principal pipeline. I think, I think a lot of us who have had, you know, just frankly have been educators like you or have kids in school, we, we kind of think of, you know, principals come from their teachers who become assistant principals and principals. But what is the general, what is the usual path sure. and sort of what, is, what does the state do to try to make sure that we have effective school leaders? Well, virtually all of our principals come from the teaching ranks, and the absolute best principals in my career that I've noticed have been the best teachers. And it's because leadership is leadership. The best teachers are the best leaders of students. They know how to lead students to give 100% of their effort every day. Principals, same way. They know how to lead teachers and staff to give 100% of their effort. That's why those leadership skills transfer um, from teacher to principal. So whenever I was looking for a strong principal, the first thing I did was look for a strong teacher. Right. Well, that makes sense. I mean, the, um, um, you know, we, we talk to teachers and we I mentioned at the top of the show, the principal really, you know, sets the tone. Um, and in fact, you know, it's, it's, it's like, and in fact, it's a lot like in the, just any other workforce. They say, always say, you don't, you don't leave a company or you don't leave a school, you leave a boss, you leave a principal. If the, if the climate's not right, maybe a great school and a great district, but if something's not off, if something's off then um, um, it doesn't work. Yeah, and the challenges that principals face this, uh, in this society are huge. You know, we've never expected more from our principals than we do today, and the challenges have never been greater. They are expected to do so much more with unfortunately less. Okay. Well, we'll talk about it. What is the, you mentioned the, some of the, the challenges that principals have, and what is the changing sort of nature of it? What, what's driving that? Well, I think it's, it, you know, in our, in our society, the challenges of poverty have gotten greater. The workforce itself 
has changed drastically. Uh, there was a time when uh, students could leave school with a good skill level and get uh, a good job paying well and, and, and support their families. But now we have to uh, educate students to a much higher level. They need post-secondary education. So they, again, need to be educated to a much higher level. And, and sadly, at a time when the challenges are greater, the family structure is broken down, poverty is increasing, that sort of thing. Right. Um, what is the state of our, of our sort of our workforce and our pipeline now? I've, you and I have talked before. I mean, we've kind of got two things going on. From what I understand, you have a lot of principals who are fairly new right. in their roles. And then right. you also have a lot of, you know, very good, effective veteran principals. Right. Um, and so do we have a, I don't know, do we have a shortfall coming? Do we already have one? Well, we, our superintendents tell us that they are having a lot of trouble finding the, the, the caliber of individual that they need to lead uh, schools in their district. And so, yes, we do have a shortage of the types of individuals. You, um, you, know, you heard from Tabari. You can tell that he's an extraordinary leader. That's what we need in each and every school, extraordinary leaders to overcome the challenges that our leaders face every day. So what are we doing right um, in terms of developing? Um, Tabari mentioned at the very end uh, professional development right. and, and principal preparation. So, so what, I guess what are we doing right as a state right. um, and across the, and then what, where, are the, where are the gaps? In the, in the area of uh, principal preparation, our state is, is a leading state in the nation because it has instituted a program called Transforming Principal Preparation. And it is this, this program has allowed five institutions to really engage in transforming their principal preparation. Probably the most, the thing that they're doing right, they're doing a lot of things right, but probably the most impactful one is they are using grant funds to fully support um, the best candidates through the program so that we can go into any teacher's classroom that we deem to have the ca characteristics that we know lead to effective leadership and say, we will fully support you. We will pay you your salary during your residency. We will pay you, uh, your we'll pay your tuition. And some of the other countries that are, are actually leading us in education, they figured out that if you want the best and the brightest leading your schools, you have to subsidize their education. You have to know what the attributes are that uh, lead to effective leaders and, and very rigorously select those individuals and then support them through their education while they're getting prepared. Now, is this through our university system? Uh, for the most part, it is. We had the five institutions that were awarded grants. We had a lot of interest in the grant program, but the five institutions that were awarded grants, each of them has a university-based program. And these five institutions are transforming the way they design the internship, the way they design their coursework. They have coaches that are working with these individuals. So the best and the brightest now have a chance to get fully supported to become principals. And, and frankly, it's, it's a very hard job. So there's not a big long line of individuals that are waiting, especially when university uh, tuition is so expensive. Most individuals without this program would have to 
quit their jobs or, or teach while they're trying to go to school, which we know is not the best approach. Well, let's talk about um, compensation. I mean, this is obviously part of it. You mentioned supporting them while they're going to school and investing in PD, but uh, the state of North Carolina, I get recognized, you know, a couple of years ago that we had fallen to 50th exactly. nationally in average right. principal pay. Right. Put in a new plan and put in some uh, new dollars, but there have been some challenges um, with that new pay plan. Where are where is the association, and really where are principals? Sure. What are they telling you sure. about the um, the state of this? Um, I guess it would be now the, into the second year of a new principal pay plan. Right. Well, first, we are very appreciative of the attention that the principal compensation plan has received. Um, uh, a, a sizable amount of money, fifty-two million over two or three years. That's that's very impressive. Yeah, it was it was it was a real absolutely, investment for and, sure. And, uh, absolutely, the plan itself needs some improvement in our opinion. Uh, number one, what I'm hearing is there's too much volatility in the plan. Too much of the of the salary is tied up in a in performance bonuses, and the performance bonuses are tied to a system that is very unpredictable and is really uh, determined by just a handful of teachers at a school. Right. So that if one or two things go wrong, a principal's salary could plummet the next because year. Because it's based on, a lot of this based on student test scores. Out all of, of like, it. Out of, yeah, all yes. out of t test scores. And, and like I talked to a principal uh, a few months ago, he's like, I have four teachers that will determine my Exactly. Path. And if one of them, let's say, gets sick. Right. And um, you know that's a, that's something out of the control of the principal that could totally uh, disrupt the growth score for that school, and that principal salary will plummet the next year. Right. Well, yeah, definitely. I know we've, that uh, you've been working on that, and, it's, and uh, it sounds like that there are at least some interest with the new session starting in January. We may see some changes. We're hoping. Uh, one of the other uh, issues with the principal pay plan is that about 40% of the principals are having to be paid on a teacher or assistant principal salary schedule because they would make more per month well, than they would as a principal. Well, there definitely sounds like there needs to be some changes. Yes. Dr. Prince, thank you for You're being on. Welcome. Appreciate it. Thank you. After the break, this week's final word. North Carolina is fortunate to have school leaders like Tabari Wallace who is clearly making a difference in Craven County. We need more. Just like our teachers, we're not doing enough to recruit and retain the kind of principals our schools and our students need, including in pay. In 2016, average principal pay had dropped to an embarrassing 50th nationally. A new plan created by the General Assembly in 2017 brought a welcome infusion of new investment in principal pay, as we just discussed with Shirley Prince. Unfortunately, the plan was a fairly confusing salary and bonus structure that did not value experience or advanced degrees, much like what was done to teachers a few years ago. Instead, the plan relies heavily on bonuses tied to student testing, a move that will likely serve as a disincentive for our best principals to take on the lowest performing schools where they are needed most. The plan has created so many scenarios where experienced principals lose substantial pay that we're now into a second year of a temporary hold harmless provision to keep them from seeing big pay cuts. 
There's talk now of even a third year of hold harmless. Now at some point, if so many principles have to be protected from a law by hold harmless provisions, maybe the plan was never that great to begin with. Our principles have a tough job and an important one. Great schools do not exist apart from great leaders. Let's revisit principal pay and make sure we get it right. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.